Coming live from Reno, Nevada, USA is our guest this morning. Welcome to this very special edition of the KJ Masterclass Live, the show which ensures that you profit from your time spent here with experts, either through the industry insights, information, or simply learning from them. And today we have Bill Bryan, PhD, CEO at the Bryan Group, and we'll be talking about leadership, how to make them more effective and efficient, and why traditional job interviews questions are useless, and what should we be asking candidates instead. Welcome to the show, Bill. Oh, thank you, AJ. A real pleasure to be here. Thanks for the invitation. Thank you. And thank you for having you on the show, because we'll be learning something very practical that is needed by so many businesses, so many uh, HR departments and other places, mm -hmm. organizations all across, not just globally, but so much also in India, because this has led to great resignation and so much so-called toxicity as workplaces and stresses. So about you, Bill, exactly, you know, you are the CEO at the Bryan Group. What exactly does your company do? Um, we are a company that really focuses on performance and talent management and uh, the development of leaders. And we also do executive search work for both businesses and education institutions, higher ed, as well as like superintendents of school systems. Right, right. And you see, you are an expert at developing and implementing competency and behavioral science-based hiring and OD systems that just work better. From embedding guided storytelling interviews into the hiring process to developing superstar performance models, your work has improved the functioning of organizations in every sector, and you have improved the functioning of companies as diverse as Anheuser Bush, Major League Baseball, the U.S. Navy, and the Washoe County School District. So just right. to understand from you, Bill, uh, you say that, you know, uh, in today's time, not like the traditional questions, those questions are not going to work. In fact, you tell them useless and we should be asking something else. Firstly, help us understand why do you think in today's time, those old traditional questions of hiring candidates does not work? Okay. Um, AJ, they've never worked. Uh, people think they do. They have their favorite questions, but basically it ends up being intuition-based, and often intuition is wrong. For example, people will get hired if they dress better, if they've got charisma, if they have experience, but charisma is not correlated with competence. Experience is not correlated with competence. So you really have to understand how do you get into the person's mind to really figure out what their motivations are. And the only predictor of future performance and skills is past performance. So the question is, how do you get the past performance? If I can give you a little snapshot on history here, I'll give you the research, I'll give you the research background on this. Um, I was in the army and then got a doctorate in clinical psychology and worked in the clinical realm for, for uh, almost 10 years on the staff of a hospital and so forth. Decided to shift. And in that shift, I had the great good fortune of being hired by the fellow by the name of David McClelland. And anybody who's been in, even universally around the world into MBA programs and things like that have probably run into McClelland in his social motive theory. Now, McClelland, fortunate for me, was a 
top competency researcher worldwide and motivation researcher. And he developed an approach to interviewing based on what's called critical incidents. And that started actually military interviewing around things that had gone wrong on the battlefield, um, things, things along those lines. But he refined it some and I refined it further. But what we found out in doing research, and we do this, have done it, I've done it for the last 45 years, um, is that when you are studying the difference between superstar leaders and average or poor, the only way that you can find out what the difference is, is by getting what we're calling in-depth stories, personal stories that have occurred in the person's life. All of the traditional questions, tell me about yourself, what are your strengths, what are your limitations, what would others say about you, are useless. They have no predictive validity as to what the person will demonstrate in a new position or what, they what their strengths really are. So in this type of a situation, the only way to get at someone's past behavior and to prove that they can demonstrate what you need in the job is to get them to tell stories. Um, I can give you what that looks like if you would like me to. Yes, yes, please. Okay. So let's say you're, you are going to come to work for me. And I, you've made it through two or three different cuts, okay? And you've made it down to the, you know, last four or five. And you're not going to do the storytelling on everybody that you look at. You've got to have a sieve to kind of sort some out because it's pretty intense and it takes a fair amount of time. You can do some abbreviated versions. Um, so we're down there. And what I say to you is I say, AJ, great to have you today. You've made it here to the final cut. Um, we're going to do something a bit different. You've probably never experienced before in an interview. We're going to be doing storytelling. And so what do I mean by storytelling? Well, what I want you to think about and to do is just think back in your career, let's say from your higher secondary education. You're graduating from there before you go on to, um, you know, your bachelor's degree or your next degree. Um, and you can, go, you can go back as far as that and tell me if there are any things that have stood out in your career that as you think back about them, give you a glow with something that turned out really well. And I'm going to ask you for two or three stories that turned out really well, starting way back when and right up to the present time. And then I'm going to ask you, and by the way, these, these positive stories don't mean that you end up on the front page of the India Times or whatever the, you know, the newspaper is. It just means something that has stuck with you that feels really good. On the downside, doesn't have to be abject failure because we're looking for both up stories and down stories, but it's something that's stuck with you that you don't feel good about. Didn't turn out the way you wanted it to. Went over budget. You got pushback. Um, typically, those types of stories are stories that when you think about it, you'd like to do what people would call a do-over. Boy, if I could do that one over again, I sure would. Now, I'm going to be editorial here for a moment and just say the reason that you ask for high points and low points is that we know through research that anything that has emotion tied to it 
will be remembered at a much deeper level, much higher level of, of detail um, in terms of thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. Now, this interview doesn't work if you haven't taken the time to specify, for example, how are you going to measure in the interview role proficiencies, the hat somebody has had to wear well in different jobs, or multiple hats. You need to know the competencies and how you're measuring them. You need to know the leadership style. And all of these have to have definitions and measures, or the interview is wasted because you don't know what you're looking for and you don't know how to measure what you're hearing. Um, another thing that we do that's unique is we create something called derailers. And these are measures of failure factors that people can have lots of good competencies and skills, but if they demonstrate one or two things, you know, they're a real jerk under certain circumstances. It wipes out, it wipes out all the good stuff they're doing, right? You know, if you, if you tell, a hundred truths and one lie, one lie, what are you remembered for? The lie. It's the same thing with leadership. If you show a bad leadership style or do certain things, even if it's not as frequent as some of the good things you do, you know, that's going to um, be a real problem. So the question is, how do we get at that stuff? So in telling stories, let, let me give you an example. Um, let's say you're telling me a story that you want to get a grant of $500,000 to expand your podcasts and to have a greater impact to get on different channels, whatever the case may be. And you've got to go to the board of directors for a foundation who's giving out these type of grants for the good work that you're doing, you know, bringing practical skills to everybody. And so you tell me, we've, we've talked the beginning of the story and I won't go in there, but here's an example. Um, you tell me, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm at the foundation. I'm about ready to walk into the boardroom. I, and I I'm, I'm open the door and I say, wait a minute, AJ, hold on. Before you open that door, your hands on the doorknob, what were you thinking? What were you feeling? You opened the door. What did you see? What did you do next? Recreate the conversation with the board. That's the level of detail you need. And if you have a set of criteria, like a, particularly around influence skills, which are often missed, it's, you'll get a very different response. So somebody who is low on political savvy and influence skills say, well, what do you mean, Bill? My hand's on the door. I opened the door and I walked in. I looked for a seat and I sat down. Somebody who is much more savvy, and if this is what you're looking for, says, yeah, I opened the door and man, I, scan I scanned the room instantly. And there were people there I hadn't counted on. I hadn't been able to do some homework about them. So I don't know what to say to them that would influence them to give me the money. And then I had to figure out, you know, whom should I sit next to? Because I've got to get somebody's ear even during the conversation. I'm making the pitch. You see, you see what the difference is and how storytelling illuminates for you what's on that person's mind, what's front of mind, how do they think, feel, and act. And you have to use the technique during their storytelling to bring that out. Right, Bill. So I just wonder, it's been so many years and the same pattern people have been following. All those top industry guys, the top CEOs, the top mm -hmm. hiring firms, smaller hiring firms, 
you know, path-breaking hiring firms, recruiting agencies, everywhere, and even in the best practices. I don't know. I've never read those books, but I don't know what are there in those best practices. But what we see certainly today is that a lot of candidates uh, are not happy. Even several instances, companies are not happy. The work culture is not happy. It has led, led to toxicity. It has led to more stress and more therapists into the work system. And you are still trying to find out what exactly is the problem. So what is it that has led to us at this particular crossroad in terms of workplaces and all? Because... Is, does it mean that the HR does not know that the youngster who has just passed out of an, a, a management school or college, they don't know hiring? Is it or they, their mind is corrupt? No. Yeah, is it yeah. that is it leadership problem or is it somebody else? Is it just the society as a whole that we have started producing workers or we have started looking at hiring workers who are just confirmists? You have a set of questions and you just ask them tell us about you and just yeah. to answer that questions there might be millions and millions of you know searches or just on the website itself. Yeah. Yeah. where what has led us to this situation um a lack of understanding of behavioral science for one and uh recognition that you have to identify what fit means in your organization and uh just in, in a broad sense, I can count on one hand in the 50 years I've done consulting with organizations from worldwide organizations down to smaller mom and pop, I can count on one hand when the, when the issues, whether it's quiet, quitting, or great resignation, haven't been a problem with leadership. It's always leadership, always leadership. So what does that mean? That means that leaders don't understand people to start with. They don't have a profound knowledge of behavioral science and people. And they really don't understand how to influence well. And it's really fascinating. I've done a lot of leader development competency research for a Fortune 500 companies. And one of the things you always do because you have to get buy-in from the company as you go around to senior managers and they want you to create these competency models so they can hire to it, they can develop to it. And you ask them, okay, so what are your superstars doing? Because that's your model. You want to have everybody perform like a superstar. And so they'll give me a list of stuff. And then I go out and I do the guided storytelling with their superstars, their average and poor. And what comes out is that the superstars, first of all, if let's say you ended up with 10 competencies, really, you know, detailed types of skills that make them a superstar, eight of those 10 will have nothing to do with technical competence. It will have to do with the ability to influence, resilience, compassion. It, it's much more the personality aspects. And a lot of that is just not frankly, trainable. Anybody can get better at anything, but, um, you know, it's going to take too long. You want them to hit the ground running. You don't have 10 years to change their personality. So you've got you've to be sophisticated about this. You've got to know what's trainable and not trainable. And like I'm saying, eight out of every 10 competencies for the superstars 
are, have nothing to do with technical competence. As a matter of fact, in many cases, it, it's the inverse. The higher the technical competence, the lousier the leadership. So you've, let, let me go back to something. Have you ever heard of the Peter Principle? Uh, not, not exactly. Yeah, yeah. I think there was a fellow by the name of Peter Townsend who wrote a book called that. But what he said was, you rise to your level of your incompetence. So people are doing okay, and all of a sudden, they're doing a crummy job. We see it around the world in every business of every type. Well, no modesty here. The Brian principle is that you rise to your level of your inability to influence. You rise to your level of your inability to influence. So this profound understanding and leadership of influence, and there's a mantra because it's all around relationship, not building relationships for their own sake, but to get people motivated and to do the work and to work in teams well. But the mantra of a leader has to be heart before head, touch before task, and relationship before relevance and rigor. And if you don't start there with that mindset, you will never get people motivated or bought into what you're really trying to get them to do and how they will, if they will use their discretionary effort on your behalf or not. When you talk about the great resignation or particularly the quiet quitting, um, right. you've got people just doing the, the minimum sorts of things to get by and they're not giving you any discretionary effort. And often when you're not watching, they're watching something on YouTube. Uh, that's all leadership. And so when we get back now to talking about the hiring process, do you know how to hire for people who will fit your culture? Do you have the definitions from a role perspective, competency and leadership style that will in fact, that's detail valid measurable that will in fact fit in your culture? Even though I have created models for hiring and development in hundreds of cases, I have never created models that were exactly the same. The reason being that you and your company have a unique set of goals and culture that has to be captured. And once you've captured it and you know given it high, high level of detail, then you can use the guided storytelling to see, will this person fit? Do they have the skills, but will they also fit our culture? Even if it's a toxic culture, because some people will thrive in a tough place. Uh, so it's, it's, people are fascinating. They're amazing. Uh, but, uh, you know, to add just a little bit more to it, we are social creatures. Most people don't go to work to work. Most work is boring as hell. They go to work to socialize. One of the things that killed the workplace was COVID and not being able to socialize. And you've, as, a, as a leader, you've got to understand that. And how do you provide people with the social context that they get relationship needs met because they will do work in the service of the relationship, but not just to do the work. Forget it, forget paychecks don't matter. They do, I mean, at a basic level, but it's really people only work to socialize. So there's a, there's a, this is when I talk about behavioral science. There's a lot, AJ, that goes into the mix of having a company be sophisticated and um, understand behavioral science 
and competency research and some of the things that are really necessary. You can make a huge difference in your culture and your productivity if you understand this. Right, right, Bill. Now, let me ask you a couple of things that you mentioned. One was leadership. Who is a leader today? Is it somebody who has just passed on out from a big management school and he's put into a leadership position? Is yeah. he a leader? No. Is he your a... manager, your leader? No. Is it the CEO that is the leader? Is it the CHRO who is the leader? Is it the HR manager who is the leader? Is it the board who is the leader? Is it the CEO who is the leader? All the CXOs, <laughs> who is the leader? One is well, the... well, if they have a position in which they have to influence and motivate others, they have to have leadership skills. Okay. And that has to progress in a scaffolding way to get greater and greater and greater. So, for example, somebody at a supervisory level has to think about influence maybe this much, okay? And how do I get my team that I'm working with to get the job done, meet deadlines, and so forth? When I work with CEOs at their level, the influence thinking has to be, you know, this big. They spend 75, 80, 90% of their time thinking about how do I influence everybody? How do I beat the competition? How, how do I convince um, funders to give me the banks to give me the funding that I want? They live in an influence world. So with every job you go up, the influence requirements go up, but you have to be sophisticated enough to know how to then use influence. What are the influence skills at each level that are most critical? So everybody should be a leader that's at least in a supervisory position um, if they're not just an individual contributor. But in today's world also, even individual contributors now are asking to be more team players. And if you're a team player, you've got to get more sophisticated about influence skills as well. And who are these superstars that you mentioned about? Because everybody seems to be looking for superstars within their organization. Are they the rainmakers? Are they the ones who are making the most amount of money? Or is it somebody who is holding the organization like a glue and may not have been from a top management school? Who is that? Who is the superstar that we are so yeah. talking about? Yeah, well, well, for one thing, as you mentioned, you know, MBA programs and stuff, um, I have yet to see one that understands influence. They teach traditional sorts of stuff and the numbers and this and that, but they really don't understand influence and leadership. Um, what they call leadership is usually just a, a different form of management and administration. There's a huge difference. Um, up, state the question again. I got myself off track. No problem. So who is the superstar oh, in oh, the superstar, yeah. it, no, I just is it numbers or is it that no, you no. see you said people do not understand behavioral science they don't understand that's the skill set that's yeah. required yeah. Yeah. so it means we are looking at something different that in what is required that's why it has led to quite quit quitting and the great resignation yeah. Yeah. people but, are still not getting it right as i said sir i have been talking to so many people therapists with due respects to them they should be where they should be but what are they doing within the organizations when organizations have to make them as part of their, you know, work-life mm -hmm. balance or I don't know. That grieves me. Yeah. I really feel very bad looking at youngsters dealing with issues. 
that should just not be the Yeah, yeah. Um, we've never done internationally a good job of bringing the younger generation along. And we don't have the models. There aren't enough models of good leadership. And the thing that we tend to see, and this is pretty well established by research, is a lot of the people that make it to the top are not good people. As a matter of fact, from an actual psychiatric, psychological point of view, one out of every five of your top CEOs, military leaders, otherwise, have been identified as psychopaths. So what does that say to people in terms of manipulation and self-aggrandizement? You know, where's the right models? And then you get people that go up, but they, they don't understand how to be a top leader, but they got pushed up there because who else is there? You know, it's by default, which is crazy. When, when we do competency research for a company um, to identify what the superstars are doing, we look at it within department because a sales superstar has different thinking, different skills than an operations superstar. But what is, is a little bit strange um, when you do the research and it's accepted in the research field is that nominations for superstars work. And what I mean by that is I go into a company and I say, in this particular job, give me 15 to 20 of your superstars. And they'll say, what do you mean? And I'll say, well, I can give you a couple parameters, but just who are the people when people look at them, they say, hey, AJ's a superstar. Okay, and Tony's a superstar and, and, you know, different people are superstars. People can identify who the superstars are, what they can't identify, and any valid detail is what makes them a superstar. Well, for example, yeah. yeah, for example, Bill, sorry to interrupt. Yep. Till two days back, there was this big company, social media company, then it got bought for $44 billion. And then the superstar, then super, those superstars were fired telling that they were perhaps not fit for that company. Now, if they were so, but there can be always when acquisitions and all these things happen, there are, you know, changes, leadership changes. Yeah. But here the changes gave a very different sort of impression as if they were not superstars who were considered to be their superstars at that point in time. But actually that led to what that big company is today in such a bad shape. So yeah. what well, should people make of it? Should they believe in yesterday or should they believe in today? Oh, How does I, it work? I, I believe more in today because if you use just the bottom line, they never made money. I think we're talking about the same same company that was just bought. Um, they didn't make money. They may have been superstars in their technical realm, but were they superstars from a marketing leadership, understanding the public point of view? And if you hear the reports of how time was being spent by people in that company, time was not being used very effectively at all. So it, it, it varies situationally. The situations change. There's, there's no doubt about it. And every time there's a major change in goals, leadership or otherwise, you have to recalibrate the whole system. You have to look at it all over again and say, what will a superstar look like in this environment? Do we have any? I'll give you a fascinating story. We, we, were, we were called in <clears throat> to help a, com a very large energy, com uh, energy company in the United States. And this is when energy was deregulated. 
And what I mean by deregulated in the energy business, the you know big energy firms did everything. They generated, they transmitted, and they sold at retail, at the at the industry or at the home or whatever. Um, well, that changed, and now all of a sudden, you you can't have all three. You're either owner of the generation or the transmission or otherwise, and. <clears throat> They never, because it was regulated, they never had to have marketing people who had real marketing skills, which is a lot of influence, you know, buy from us versus the other energy company next door. Um, and so we had to go in and create a profile because they didn't have any marketing superstars internally. We had to identify companies that were similar to them and study their superstars as a starting point. And then over time, as people started to get into the job and get really good, we could say, hey, that person's a superstar. Let's do the guided storytelling with them. Let's see what they are in fact demonstrating when dealing with customers. So it, it's an organic moving target. And, and if you're going to be successful and competitive, you've got to get in front of it. Um, I don't think the company that was just bought was in front of it at all and hadn't proved, at least from a bottom line point of view, their worth. Right, right. So let's move from superstars to solutions. And you are a man of solutions, sir. Mm -hmm. In terms of, again, we'll take leadership as well as employee hiring. Yeah. So if we take first as employee hiring, then how do we make that uh, whole process better? Because the most important part is when you look at the job description and it keeps on floating everywhere, all across the internet, you will see job descriptions that are not only, uh, I would say almost to a point of, you know, impossible and sometimes, and that keeps getting copied by one person, another yeah. person, yeah. and that keeps on floating. It's yeah. like, you know, those a lot of content on the internet but, but the standard job description is junk okay junk worthless if you don't know how to create job descriptions that truly measure role proficiencies competency proficiencies um leadership style proficiencies and and you have a way of validating those against what the superstars are doing then you're wasting your time it, it's a crapshoot it's 50 50. Your, your confidence in hiring is just flip of a flip of the coin. You may have favorite questions or whatever the case may be, but I can tell you over time that doesn't work. And it doesn't work over time also if you're thinking from a talent management point of view, because you should have profiles at this level, the next level, the next level, the next level. Remember what I said, what makes for superstars, a lot of their qualities are not trainable. So you better be looking at it in a scaffolded fashion. And how do you bring people along? If you want superstar leaders grown from within, then the, the, even the basic person that walks in the door who isn't supervising yet, you do profiles on them and you interview them to see if they have the capacity to develop. And, and the, the different thing, like one of the, one, for one of the very large international drug companies, I was brought in to, to create two paths for them. One path was how to become a technical superstar. And the other path was become a leadership superstar. Because to, to be both, in many respects, is almost impossible because the traits, qualities, attributes are not the same. 
But unfortunately, most companies aren't big enough to have that luxury to do that. Right, right, Bill. And in terms of leadership, how do they uh, improve their uh, whatever in terms of understanding people, in terms of, you know, getting onto the right path, the right sort of leadership? Ultimately, see, a CEO still remains the CEO. It all depends on which path you take. A path mm -hmm. which is, you know, a path which is bitten or something new that actually is required. I mm -hmm. wonder why many people are afraid of. Is it that they have so much of pressure on bottom lines or is it just they don't want to do it? It's like it's like a new king on the throne and they just want to feel like what the throne is about. Yeah. Like is, is about. Sure, sure. Well, a lot of this goes back to a a trait that isn't particularly trainable, which is risk aversion. There are people who have a much higher tolerance for risk and ambiguity, willing to take chances, and those people are going to step up and, and move, and others are more concerned about, uh, you know, their job, the pay, the compensation. They, they're going to be more safety concerned. So that's that's part of it. It's not the whole picture, but it's one of and it's an element that plays a big role into who will strive enough to do it. The other, the other thing that you have to look at, too, is leaders have to be savvy enough to, to, to make a differentiation between extroverts and quiet competence. There are many people who are introverts who have tons of competence and skills, whereas the other people, you know, who are more you know, day-to-day -day interaction, maybe more charisma, will be given more slack because they seem to, you know, they're more bubbly, they get along when they really don't have the competence required in the job. That's why there's so much, you know, false positives in hiring. Uh, false positives mean you're hiring people who you think have competence who don't just because of how they carry themselves, how they interviewed. But that's because you haven't had the detailed criteria and the guided storytelling to really weed out. Uh, the, the storytelling levels the playing field so that it pushes all of that surface stuff aside. You know, how slick is your language? How do you dress? How do the other stuff? I'll take a diamond in the rough any day if that person's got the right stuff and we know over time it can be developed even further or refined. So these are things where your HR departments have to get a lot more sophisticated. There are very few, from my perspective, sophisticated HR departments. Their HR departments are terrific. You've got to have them. And they try to take care of their people. But a lot of the behavioral science just hasn't gotten into practice yet. Right, right. There's so many tools available. There is mm -hmm. artificial intelligence also now. There is so much of, you know, uh, you don't even need to go through those documents by uh, on paper you just have to do the search and still i don't know why is it leading to a lot of you know uh heartburn in place work workplaces if the hiring process has been so robust so in terms of even leadership again here uh, is it that leadership is just acting the way it is because there is no leadership evaluation because only an acquisition will determine that they have to be there or not, nothing else, or only the bottom line, then there is the board, which they are too responsible to. 
But yeah. what about the leadership, the managerial leaderships? Why are there no proper evaluations done? If, if there is a, well, say, well, somebody has led to a toxic culture, yeah. how are they able to get a job so easily in another organization? Is it connections or where is that evaluation happening within that organization? Why yeah. is this fight quitting not being questioned and responsibility put on the people yeah. who should be answerable to this? Well, once again, they don't understand leadership and many who are decent leaders or bad leaders don't understand why they're good or bad. Um, I'll go back to that study. I was talking about the, the large Fortune 500. I went around and asked all the leaders. But when I did the research, what I found was that it was there were 13 competencies in the model and 10 of those competencies had to do with the ability to influence. Yet in my conversations with all the top leaders, they only picked two of the 10 as distinguishing between superstars or not. People don't understand influence. Uh, uh, to, to kind of encapsulate the importance of this, after studying leaders, and it took me a while to, to get this under my belt, you can list all of their role proficiencies, companies, leadership styles, but it really boiled down to two factors. And it's something that I um, actually copyrighted and it's called tight thinking, T-I-T-E. And what it is, is think influence, think energy. Energy is the little mystery ingredient here. I always wondered why are these superstars, I see the influence stuff, but also, what else are they doing that makes them so darn effective? And what I found was, it wasn't just how somebody used resources. The top superstars always looked when they were putting goals on people's plates and stuff, does this person, does this team, does this department have enough energy? Even if they have the skill and the will, is there enough energy for them to get this done? And therefore, they can appropriately adjust their time horizons for meeting goals based on the energy available. This is an, another issue around the pandemic. Drives me nuts. Um, I work with a lot of school systems. And school, right. school systems are trying to catch up because COVID costs the kids. The, they're not keeping up with their grade levels and all of that sort of stuff. And um, in one case, I saw from a, a large school district, tens of thousands of kids, this plan. And the plan was 75 pages long and had two sentences on leadership in it. It was all about what teachers have to do. And these are the programs kids have to do. Absolute, you know, formula for disaster because there was no understanding that people are burned out. The kids don't have the energy. The teachers don't have the energy. I was I was hired by a foundation to go in to a very large, uh, uh, seven of their large school districts. They were giving tons, millions of dollars to. And they say, Bill, are we spending our money well? And I knew before I went in, just give me the money and I'll tell you, no, they're not. Uh, <laughs> but I went in and for example, one school system, and I do, I do in a day, I can tell them exactly where their money is going where the energy is going, why they're failing, a whole bunch of stuff. But in addition to just doing what they were supposed to do to educate kids, they had on their platter 150 programs that they'd gotten grants for to improve things. 
And immediately you say to yourself, do you understand human beings? Because human beings can't do any more than one, two at tops, three things right. at any one time. So this totally overloads. And when you overgo, motivation goes out the door. You talk about quiet quitting. You want quiet quitting? Overgo people. Don't understand them. Don't understand behavioral science. So it all gets back to that, AJ. Right. So in short, how can you know there are a lot of firms and I, I, I keep on talking to so many of them mm -hmm. and some owners I know personally. So, so many people want to actually make their workplace a very happy place, but so many are still not able to. Yeah. How can they make their workplace a better workplace and leadership, they get the right sort of leadership. How do they do that? And second question is, so that you can re respond at your own pace, is in this pre present atmosphere, how is it that they can employees can make their life better? Somebody who's looking for a job, how should, what should he determine with, how he should start his process of entering into the workforce, which is good for his body, mind, as well as pocket for his future? Well, you've got the two sides of the story here, right? The, right. The, the boss and the employee. So if we're starting with the boss again, because everything ends up on their doorstep, then it's back to really getting into some leadership training and understanding that is a lot different than they've ever had before. Um, you know, understanding behavioral science, understanding that most people don't work to work, they work to socialize. Um, and there are a lot of stories behind that. So that's the first place. And then understand the tight thinking, think influence, th think energy. And what does that look like at every level? And it differs. Uh, and look at what your superstars are doing. Look at who people will follow anywhere, do anything for and figure out, can you measure it? Uh, and that's one way of starting to say, well, if that's what they're doing, what should I be doing? Now, from the employee side, they've got to be a lot more self-directed in terms of even the first job when they walk in the door. Have you researched the company? Okay. Uh, um, have you, you know, gone out on a limb and called people in the company to talk to you about what's going on? And most people will respond. You know, you'll talk to some people and say, well, I couldn't do that. I, I, I'm not an employee yet. You say, wait, wait a minute, are you trying to create a career for yourself or letting somebody else define it for you? So that initiative, that self-motivation, that drive, and for some people, it's, they'll never do it because it's not in their genes. But others, if you can give them a model and help them develop some courage to you know, define themselves, and recognize that in today's world, in, in, you know, way back when you would work for one or two companies for your whole life, now most people are going to have 8, 10, 12 jobs at some point in time and just understand what's the progression. But people have to be more strategic, even in their first job, is what will this lead you to for the second job, to the third job? Do you understand your own talent management progression or not? So th there's this... We need this podcast to last about four days for us to, to take you through the tools and things that are going on. But hopefully this stimulates some thought for people anyway. Absolutely. Absolutely. It will. It will. And obviously a lot of people are 
listening to it we'll be uh, seeing it also and i'm sure a lot will come out of this mm-hmm. nothing goes into uh, waste you know and even all those stupid job descriptions they don't go waste people keep them copying uh, copying this i'm sure the good ideas also will get yeah, reverberated oh yeah let, let, let me leave you one other tip stop doing panel interviews they are a total waste of time unless the competency you're looking for is someone who does well with panel interviews but that isn't really what you're looking for and it forces you to ask same stupid questions and not do uh, guided storytelling which is the only thing that's going to work for you absolutely absolutely so what can a lot of companies who want to do better from wherever they are how do they what do they connect with what exactly can you uh, can they connect with you for with you for and how do they do that how does it work well, well the, the the best thing to do is just to drop a line to info, info at tbgleaders.com in other words info at the brian group leaders.com info at tbgleaders.com we we always get back within a business day um because we don't answer phones that we don't know because it wastes so damn much time so if a number comes in but if they leave a book if also uh, i thought you know, i thought this was only an india thing even i don't do that and there are so <laughs> many calls sometimes if you call back your day is gone yeah oh absolutely so also if they did want to call directly but i I would encourage them to send a note first because then we can do a little homework on our side and be more prepared to respond to them Um, but if they if they want to call they can call uh, 401-965-8345 401-965-8345 and that's that's in the states Uh, and for us we are pacific time so uh, three hours different than on the east coast Right, right, and and happy. We're there. There's some free downloads of tools on our website to take a look at, and um, the meter isn't always running for us. We want people just to get better. We want people to succeed. So you know, let's have a conversation or two, whatever. Right, let's have a conversation, and I can tell you this was a great conversation in terms of insights, and I'm sure this will lead to a lot of uh, good. Uh, suggestions for people who actually want to make things better. Okay. Thank you so much for your time indeed, Bill. Oh, welcome. Uh, yeah, really appreciate it. Thought your questions were right on target. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you indeed. And look forward to talking to you again soon. With this, it's a wrap on this very special edition of the KJ Masterclass Live. Thank you once again. 